0: chapter one of cleopatra by georg ebers translated by mary j safford this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter One. gorgias the architect had learned to bear the scorching sunbeams of the egyptian noonday though not yet thirty he had directed first as his late father's assistant and afterwards as his successor the construction of the huge buildings erected by cleopatra in alexandria now he was overwhelmed with commissions yet he had come hither ere the hours of work were over merely to oblige a youth who had barely passed the confines of boyhood true the person for whom he made this sacrifice was Caesarion, the son whom cleopatra had given to julius caesar antony had honoured him with the proud title of king of kings yet he was permitted neither to rule nor even to issue orders for his mother kept him aloof from affairs of state and he himself had no desire to hold the sceptre Gorgias had granted his wish the more readily because it was apparent that he wanted to speak to him in private though he had not the least idea what caesarion desired to confide and under any circumstances he could give him only a brief interview the fleet at whose head the queen had set sail with mark antony for greece must have already met octavianus's galleys and doubtless a battle wherein the destiny of the world was decided had also been fought upon the land gorgias believed that the victory would fall to antony and the queen and wished the noble pair success with his whole heart he was even obliged to act as if the battle had been already determined in their favour for the architectural preparations for the reception of the conquerors were entrusted to his charge and that very day must witness the decision of the location of the colossal statues which represented antony hand in hand with his royal love the epitrope mardian a eunuch who as regent represented cleopatra and zeno the keeper of the seal who rarely opposed him wished to have the piece of sculpture erected in a different place from the one he favoured the principal objection to the choice made by the powerful head of the government was that it had fallen on land owned by a private individual this might lead to difficulties, and gorgias opposed it as an artist too he did not approve mardian's plan for though on didymus's land the statues would have faced the sea which the regent and the keeper of the seal regarded as very important no fitting background could have been obtained at any rate the architect could now avail himself of Caesarion's invitation to overlook from the appointed place of meeting the lofty steps of the temple of isis the bruchium and seek the best site for the twin statues he was anxious to select the most suitable one the master who had created this work of art had been his friend and had closed his eyes in death shortly after its completion the sanctuary where gorgias commenced his survey was in one of the fairest portions of the bruchium the alexandrian quarter where stood the royal palace with its extensive annexes the finest temples except the serapium situated in another part of the city and the largest theatres the forum invited the council of macedonian citizens to its assemblies and the museum afforded a resort for the scholars the little square closed in the east by the temple of isis was called the corner of the muses on account of the two marble statues of women before the entrance of the house which with its large garden facing the square northward and extending along the sea belonged to didymus an old and highly respected scholar and member of the museum the day had been hot and the shade of the temple of isis was very welcome to the architect this sanctuary rested upon a lofty foundation and a long flight of steps led to the cella the spot afforded gorgias a wide prospect most of the buildings within his vision belonged to the time of alexander and his successors in the house of the ptolemies but some and by no means the least stately were the work of gorgias himself or of his father the artist's heart swelled with enthusiastic delight at the sight of this portion of his native city he had been in rome and visited many other places numbered among the world's fairest and most populous cities but not one contained so many superb works of art crowded together in so small a space if one of the immortals themselves he murmured should strive to erect for the inhabitants of olympus a quarter meet for their grandeur and beauty it could scarcely be much more superb or better fitted to satisfy the artistic needs which we possess as their gift and it would surely be placed on the shore of such a sea while speaking he shaded his keen eyes with his hand the architect who usually devoted his whole attention to the single object that claimed his notice now permitted himself the pleasure of enjoying the entire picture in whose finishing touches he had himself borne a part and as his practised eye perceived in every temple and colonnade the studied and finished harmony of form and the admirable grouping of the various buildings and statues he said to himself with a sigh of satisfaction that his own art was the noblest and building the highest of royal pleasures no doubt this belief was shared by the princes who three centuries before had endeavoured to obtain an environment for their palaces which should correspond with their vast power and overflowing wealth and at the same time give tangible expression to their reverence for the gods and their delight in art and beauty no royal race in the universe could boast of a more magnificent abode these thoughts passed through gorgias's mind as the deep azure hue of sea and sky blended with the sunlight to bring into the strongest relief all that the skill and brains of man aided by exhaustless resources had here created waiting usually a hard task for the busy architect became a pleasure in this spot for the rays streaming lavishly in all directions from the diadem of the sovereign sun flooded with dazzling radiance the thousands of white marble statues on the temples and colonnades and were reflected from the surfaces of the polished granite of the obelisks and the equally smooth walls of the white yellow and green marble the cyanite and the brown speckled porphyry of sanctuaries and palaces they seemed to be striving to melt the bright mosaic pictures which covered every foot of the ground where no highway intersected and no tree shaded it and flashed back again from the glimmering metal or the smooth glaze in the gay tiles on the roofs of the temples and houses here they glittered on the metal ornaments yonder they seemed to be trying to rival the brilliancy of the gilded domes to lend to the superb green of the tarnished bronze surfaces the sparkling lustre of the emerald or to transform the blue and red lines of the white marble temples into lapis lazuli and coral and their gilded decorations into topaz the pictures in the mosaic pavement of the squares and on the inner walls of the colonnades were doubly effective against the light masses of marble surrounding them which in their turn were indebted to the pictures for affording the eye an attractive variety instead of dazzling monotony here the light of the weltering sun enhanced the brilliancy of color in the flags and streamers which fluttered beside the obelisks and egyptian pylons over the triumphal arches and the gates of the temples and palaces yet even the exquisite purplish blue of the banner waving above the palace on the peninsula of lochias now occupied by cleopatra's children was surpassed by the hue of the sea whose deep azure near the shore merged far away into bands of lighter and darker blue blending with dull or whitish green gorgias was accustomed to grasp fully whatever he permitted to influence him and though still loyal to his custom of associating with his art every remarkable work of the gods or man he had not forgotten in his enjoyment of the familiar scene the purpose of his presence in the spot no the garden of didymus was not the proper place for his friend's last work while gazing at the lofty plain sycamore and mimosa trees which surrounded the old scholar's home the quiet square below him suddenly became astir with noisy life for all classes of the populace were gathering in front of the sequestered house as if some unusual spectacle attracted them what could they want of the secluded philosopher gorgias gazed earnestly at them but soon turned away again a gay voice from below called his name a singular procession had approached the temple a small body of armed men led by a short stout fellow whose big head covered with bushy curls was crowned with a laurel wreath he was talking eagerly to a younger man but had paused with the others in front of the sanctuary to greet the architect the latter shouted a few pleasant words in reply the laurel-crowned figure made a movement as if he intended to join him but his companion checked him and after a short parley the older man gave the younger one his hand flung his heavy head back and strutted onward like a peacock followed by his whole train the other looked after him shrugging his shoulders then called to gorgias asking what boon he desired from the goddess your presence replied the architect blithely then isis will show herself gracious to you was the answer and the next instant the two young men cordially grasped each other's hands both were equally tall and well formed the features bore witness to their greek origin nay they might have been taken for brothers had not the architect's whole appearance seemed sturdier and plainer than that of his companion whom he called dion and friend as the latter heaped merry sarcasms upon the figure wearing the laurel wreath who had just left him and the famous zither-player on whom antony had bestowed the revenues of four cities and permission to keep bodyguard and gorgias's deeper voice sometimes assented sometimes opposed with sensible objections the difference between these two men of the same age and race became clearly apparent both showed a degree of self-reliance unusual at their age but the architect's was the assurance which a man gains by toil and his own merit dion's that which is bestowed by large possession and a high position in society those who were ignorant that the weight of dion's carefully prepared speech had more than once turned the scale in the city councils would probably have been disposed to take him for one of the careless worldlings who had no lack of representatives among the gilded youth of alexandria while the architect's whole exterior from his keen eye to the stouter leather of his sandals revealed earnest purpose and assuming ability their friendship had commenced when gorgias built a new palace for dion during long business association people become well acquainted even though their conversations relate solely to direction and execution but in this case he who gave the orders had been only the inspirer and adviser the architect the warm-hearted friend eager to do his utmost to realize what hovered before the other's mind as the highest attainable excellence so the two young men became first dear and finally almost indispensable to each other as the architect discovered in the wealthy man of the world many qualities whose existence he had not suspected the latter was agreeably surprised to find in the artist associated with his solidity of character a jovial companion who this first made him really beloved by his friend had no lack of weaknesses when the palace was completed to dion's satisfaction and became one of the most lauded ornaments of the city the young men's friendship assumed a new form and it would have been difficult to say which received the most benefit dion had just been stopped by the zither player to ask for confirmation of the tidings that the united forces of antony and cleopatra had gained a great victory on sea and land in the eating-house at canopus where he had breakfasted every one was full of the joyful news and rivers of wine had been drunk to the health of the victors and the destruction of the malicious foe in these days cried dion not only weak-brained fellows like the zither-player believe me omniscient but many sensible men also and why because forsooth i am the nephew of zeno the keeper of the seal who is on the brink of despair because he himself knows nothing not even the veriest trifle yet he stands nearest to the regent observed gorgias and must learn if any one does how the fleet fares you too sighed his friend had i been standing so far above the ground as you the architect by the dog i should not have failed to note the quarter whence the wind blew it has been southerly a whole fortnight and keeps back the galleys coming from the north the regent knows nothing absolutely nothing and my uncle of course no more but if they do learn anything they will be shrewd enough not to enrich me with it true there are other rumours afloat said the architect thoughtfully if i were in mardian's place thank the olympians that you are not laughed his companion he has as many cares as a fish has scales and one the greatest that pert young antyllus was over-ready with his tongue yesterday at barine's poor fellow he'll have to answer for it to his tutor at home you mean the remark about the queen's accompanying the fleet said dion putting his finger on his lips for many men and women were now ascending the temple steps several carried flowers and cakes and the features of most expressed joyful emotion the news of the victory had reached their ears and they wanted to offer sacrifices to the goddess whom cleopatra the new isis preferred to all others the first courtyard of the sanctuary was astir with life they could hear the ringing of the sistrum bells and the murmuring chant of the priests the quiet forecourt of the little temple of the goddess which here in the greek quarter of palaces had as few visitors as the great temple of isis in rakotis was overcrowded had now become the worst possible rendezvous for men who stood so near the rulers of the government the remark made about the queen the evening before by antyllus antony's nineteen-year-old son at the house of barine a beautiful young woman who attracted all the prominent men in alexandria was the more imprudent because it coincided with the opinion of all the wisest heads the reckless youth enthusiastically reverenced his father but cleopatra the object of antony's love and in the egyptian's eyes his wife was not antyllus's mother he was the son of fulvia his father's first wife and feeling himself a roman would have preferred a thousand times to live on the banks of the tiber besides it was certain antony's stanch's friends made no attempt to conceal the fact that the queen's presence with the army exerted a disturbing influence and could not fail to curb the daring courage of the brave general and with the reckless frankness inherited from his father had expressed this view in the presence of alberine's guests and in a form which would be only too quickly spread throughout alexandria whose inhabitants relished such speeches these remarks would be slow in reaching the plain people who were attracted to the temple by the news of the victory yet many doubtless knew caesarion whom the architect was awaiting here it would be wiser to meet the prince at the foot of the steps both men therefore went down to the square though the crowd seeking the temple and thronging the space before didymus's house made it more and more difficult to pace to and fro they were anxious to learn whether the rumour that didymus's garden was to be taken for the twin statues had already spread abroad and their first questions revealed that this was the case it was even stated that the old sage's house was to be torn down and within a few hours this was vehemently contradicted but a tall scrawny man seemed to have undertaken to defend the ruler's violence the friends knew him well it was the syrian philostratus a clever extemporary speaker and agitator of the people who placed his clever tongue at the disposal of the highest bidder. "'The rascal is probably now in my uncle's employ,' said Dion. "'The idea of putting the piece of sculpture there originated with him, and it is difficult to turn him from such plans. There is some secret object to be gained here. That is why they have brought Philostratus. I wonder if the conspiracy is connected in any way with Barine, whose husband, unfortunately for her, he was before he cast her off.' cast her off exclaimed gorgias wrathfully how that sounds true he did it but to persuade him the poor woman sacrificed half the fortune her father had earned by his brush you know as well as i that life with that scoundrel would be unbearable very true replied dion quietly but as all alexandria melted into admiration after her singing of the yalamas at the adonis festival she no longer needed her contemptible consort how can you take pleasure whenever it is possible in casting such slurs upon a woman whom but yesterday you call blameless charming peerless that the light she sheds may not dazzle your eyes i know how sensitive they are then spare instead of irritating them besides your suggestion gives food for thought barine is the granddaughter of the man whose garden they want and the advocate would probably be glad to injure both but i'll spoil his game it is my business to choose the site for the statues yours replied Diane. unless some one who is more powerful opposes you i would try to win my uncle but there are others superior to him the queen is gone it is true but Iris whose commands do not die away in empty air, told me this morning that she had her own ideas about the erection of the statue. Then you bring Philostratus here, cried the architect. I? asked the other in amazement. Ah, you, asserted Gorgias, did not you say, that Iris, with whom you played when a boy, is now becoming troublesome by watching your every step? And then you visit Barine constantly, and she so evidently prefers you that the fact might easily reach the ears of Iris.' as argus has a hundred jealousy has a thousand eyes interrupted dyne yet i seek nothing from barine save two pleasant hours when the day is drawing towards its close no matter iris i suppose heard that i was favoured by this much admired woman iris herself has some little regard for me so she bought philostratus she is willing to pay something for the sake of injuring the woman who stands between us or the old man who has the good or evil fortune of being her rival's grandfather no no that would be too base and believe me if iris desired to ruin barine she need not make so long a circuit besides she is not really a wicked woman or is she all i know is that where any advantage is to be gained for the queen she does not shrink even from doubtful means and also that the hours speed swiftly for any one in her society yes iris iris i like to utter the name yet i do not love her and she loves only herself and a thing few can say another still more what is the world what am i to her compared with the queen the idol of her heart since cleopatra's departure iris seems like the forsaken ariadne or a young roe which has strayed from its mother but stop she may have a hand in the game the queen trusted her as if she were her sister her daughter no one knows what she and charmian are to her they are called waiting women but are their sovereign's dearest friends when on the departure of the fleet cleopatra was compelled to leave Iris here she was ill with a fever she gave her the charge of her children even those whose beards were beginning to grow the king of king caesarion whose tutor punishes him for every act of disobedience and the unruly lad antyllus who has forced his way the last few evenings into our friend's house antony his own father introduced him to her very true and antillus took caesarion there this vexed iris like everything which may disturb the queen barine is troublesome on account of cleopatra whom she wishes to spare every annoyance and perhaps she dislikes her a little for my sake now she wants to inflict on the old man barine's grandfather whom she loves some injury which the spoiled imprudent woman will scarcely accept quietly and which will rouse her to commit some folly that can be used against her iris will hardly seek her life but she may have in mind an exile or something of that kind she knows people as well as i know her my neighbour and playmate whom many a time i was obliged to lift down from some tree into which the child had climbed as nimbly as a kitten i myself suggested this conjecture yet i cannot credit her with such unworthy intrigues cried gorgias credit her repeated dion shrugging his shoulders i only transport myself in imagination to the court and to the soul of the woman who helps make rain and sunshine there you have columns rounded and beams hewed that they may afterwards support the roof to which in due time you wish to direct attention she and all who have a voice in the management of court affairs look first at the roof and then seek anything to raise and support it though it should be corpses ruined lives and broken hearts point is that the roof shall stand until the architect the queen sees and approves it as to the rest but there is the carriage it doubtless brings you were he paused laid his hands on his friend's arm and whispered hastily "Iris is undoubtedly at the bottom of this and it is not antillus but yonder dreaming lad for whom she is moving when she spoke of the statues just now she asked in the same breath where i had seen him on the evening of the day before yesterday and that was the very time he called on barine the plot was made by her and iris is doing all the work the mouse is not caught while the trap is closed and she is just raising her little hand to open it if only she does not use some man's hand replied the architect wrathfully and then turned towards the carriage and the elderly man who had just left it and was now approaching the two friends chapter one